Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, it's Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist. I teach for Globe University for a little while longer this quarter, and I own Extreme Human Performance. Sweet. Hey, everybody. We are going to catch up with Phil on the road in the topic of the day after Dr. Nelson and I get through uh, some news and we get some closure on a couple of promises we've been making. Um, when we do talk with Phil, just... I could throw this out now. We're going to talk about um, not so much goal setting because we've been talking about that over the last few weeks. If you're about to start a 2017 resolution, for example, I'd go listen to the last episode or two when we were talking about goals and drawing arrows and short and long-term goals and that sort of thing. But we are going to talk about sort of a wake-up call like, hey, yes, it's the dead of winter, but something about New Year's should trigger you to – start to think about what your competitive goals are this coming year. Maybe it's not a competition. Maybe you're going to bulk all year and take a year to put on some mass, you know. Uh, but if you are going to try to get lean, we're going to talk about that a little bit too. Now, Phil's weird because he's coming off a diet. He diets through the holiday season. But a lot <laughs> of people, uh, the way I always used to do it was January 1st, I'd start some of these behaviors with a goal of doing something in May, you know, a competition. So, that's what we're going to talk about, to bulk, to continue to bulking or not to bulk, uh, to start, you know, a diet. And so that will be our topic. But first, we have some mail and some news. Uh, I'm going to get through some random studies that were just sent by listeners. And then Mike and I are going to talk about collagen. We promised uh, two weeks ago, I think, when we were talking about how uh, some companies will stuff protein bars. They'll sort of nitrogen spike them with bogus protein, low-quality proteins like collagen or gelatin, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I was talking about being a little confused that there may be some benefits to collagen, and that confused me because just knowing how poor of a protein it is. Anyway, we'll get to that. Let's start some of these um, separate exclusive mails. Strength and Muscle Sport News. First one is from Tim. He says, hey, Fortress, I thought Lonnie would be interested in this story that's going on in my neighborhood. Miss you on the show, and Happy New Year. So that's cool. I actually spoke to Rob on the phone the other day, Tim. So, yeah, Rob's job just won't allow it. He has one of the craziest swing shifts, and I'll tell you, that guy has to be on the ball, too, because he he is a bulwark against some very bad people uh, in his job. So uh, I appreciate what he does, but... So Tim sent us this thing. Um, Fairfield man tests positive for caffeine and is charged with DUI. Um, I saw this myself on on our local news, uh, and that's what Tim is sending me here. So honestly, I think this is one of those news bits that it's specifically meant to get a rise out of you. You know, people are like, that's ridiculous, a DUI for caffeine. Um, 
It says, during a summer afternoon in August, um, apparently he's coming home from work, Joseph Schwab, uh, he's a 30-something-year-old guy, um, heading home to Fairfield when an alcohol beverage control agent pulled him over on I-680. And apparently he was weaving in and out of traffic um, in a risky kind of way. Uh, when he got pulled over, he seemed very agitated and ramped up and even combative, it says. Um, what I didn't like, if I can interject here, is that the, the stock photos that they were showing with all this stuff, they were talking about his pre-workout pills and powders. And, you know, it was very, like, demonizing, very druggish kind of illicit-looking nah. photos. And it's a pre-workout, you know. Uh, get over it. Uh, so evil anyway, supplements again. Exactly. Demonizing the supplements, trying to blur <laughs> the line with some type of illicit drug or anabolic steroids or who knows what. You know, vague images of cocaine because of white powders being poured on the screen. And it's just oh, ridiculous. <laughs> oh, geez. Right. Exactly. So um, they even called out some of the authorities that were trying to make this supposed DUI stick because the guy wasn't inebriated. Uh, and... I was actually amazed. They doubled down. Instead of backing off and saying, well, he was very aggressive. You know, we just cited him with reckless endangerment or something. They're like, no, no, he was under influence of something. And so they did blood work and found nothing on the specific, you know, drugs that they were looking for. Um, who knows? But the whole thing, yeah, was a very anti-supplement. And it's amazing to me how the media has to be very careful to – you know, or they'll whip the the populace up into this frenzy, you know, anti supplement frenzy. Um, now, I will say this: uh, it says update here, and I did not know this. The Solano County District Attorney's Office said Wednesday it will be dropping the charges against Schwab, and then they point hmm. you to another story. Um, yeah, so finally they they dropped the charges or dismissed it or whatever. I mean, caffeine is not a crime. <laughs> And, yeah. and again, I almost think, uh, Tim, that this piece is meant specifically to to get your ire up, you know, to be like, what the hell? That's everybody uses caffeine. That's bullshit, you know, and and that kind of stuff. And it is. Um, so it depends on the veracity of this story. If it's real to the extent that I mean, it actually looks like it is. That's just asinine. What kind of, you know, paranoia? Uh, like if this if he was caught with a lot of coffee, this would not happen, right? Yeah. Uh, if a pound of oh, coffee, two large versus... things from Starbucks, they're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As opposed to, I mean, it, you know, is is that open container now <laughs> when you have an open <laughs> cup of coffee? I don't know. It's just ridiculous to me. Yeah. So I we I did in fact see that, and like I said, what alarmed me the most was sort of the imagery and the fact that they were doubling down and trying to. Like, who's trying to get attention here? It's either the journalists or maybe even the law enforcement in that area, but they've clearly chosen their battle poorly. That's foolish. Anyway. Yeah, it just seems a waste of time and money to me. Yep, there go taxpayers' dollars. You know, yep. <laughs> for, the, for the judge, the officers, everybody. Yeah, and you see that often. Now, I, I don't know. I you, you hope for this age of reason that some of this will go away. You know, these images of, you know, the, I don't know, bodybuilder type guy. And I'm not saying that's what this guy looked like, but 
Um, and, you know, the imagery that always goes with it, and they always try to associate things. It's just whatever. Uh, this next one is from Karen. Uh, this is very brief. It says, uh, may not really apply to most listeners, but it's an interesting to see that creatine may be beneficial for colon health. Uh, so she just sent an abstract here from Roy et al. from ACG Case Reports uh, Journal. It's entitled, Dietary Creatine as a Possible Novel Treatment for Crohn's Ileitis, so inflamed mm. intestines. Uh, and it talks about how creatine is commonly used dietary supplement, of course. It, it says, um, given that dysregulation of your intestinal epithelial barrier, so just the lining of your intestines, is a hallmark of inflammatory bowel disease, it's plausible that creatine supplementation may attenuate the disease severity. And then they present a patient here that actually had Crohn's uh, who responded to creatine supplementation with both symptomatic relief, I think, on some level, and even the endoscopy, when they actually looked at some of the tissue, it seemed to improve. Uh, mm. uh, one of the reasons I thought this was worth bringing up on air for sure is that uh, it's funny, but creatine also, we were just talking about some of the negative imagery and, and that sort of thing. Creatine often gets blamed for gastric distress or hydration changes in people, kidney strain, whatever that means. Um, and here it's just funny because... It's true. If you take too much creatine and too little water, you will get osmotic diarrhea. But, dummy, you just did that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing inher inherently toxic about creatine. Yeah. You know, in fact, my brother, I've told this story before, but uh, I he was in one of the early studies in the early 90s we were doing on creatine, and he would put a whole tablespoon in like half a cup of, of water. And I'm like, Dude, put it in, you know, 16 ounces. Just be safe, you know. <laughs> no, screw that. And then, of course, he got diarrhea, and he's like, I'm getting out of your study. I'm not going to be in any more of your studies, you know. And it's like, well, <laughs> you, you did it to yourself, dummy, you know. Um, so it's just funny, but it, it, something that could cause gastric distress because people basically just make it too strong um, may actually help with inflamed mm. intestines. This is a very early case report, you know, 2016 stuff, so... Um, I'm I not saying if you've got Crohn's. But they didn't uh, get into any proposed mechanisms or anything there? Uh, not in the abstract curious. itself. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. um, I didn't have access to the full paper at the time. So uh, I would no, think it's probably like... energetic in some way. It's providing mm -hmm. enough energy for the, the cells. Because there's nothing inherently anti-inflammatory about creatine, I don't think. Um, not that I know of. I mean, there's some, obviously, we've seen presentations on the neuro effects in the past, but... Uh, intestinal stuff I haven't seen too much, but yeah. huh, glutamine. I've seen some stuff on glutamine with gut health, but yeah, not yeah. protein. Um, and then here's one more before we get to our collagen thing. Uh, Doctor Nelson and I will both um, deal with this. I mentioned this last time, and I tabled it till this week. So here it is: persistent microbiome alterations modulate the rate of post-dieting weight regain. So this is by Christoph Thace, th. A-I-S-S, -S, and a slew of other authors, and I think you get some of this author stacking sometimes in journals like Nature. Nature is a... Yeah. Everyone wants to be in there. Right. The premier journal, arguably. Um, this is just literally just days old, maybe a week old. Um, here's the idea. It says... Um, we have an obesity pandemic. We know that uh, many dieting individuals fail to maintain long-term weight reduction and instead undergo excessive weight regain cycles. 
and we know that, right? Yo-yo dieting is kind of a thing. Honestly, it's debatable how damaging it is, but you can find some stuff that you know people lose progressively more muscle mass over time, or they can mess with their thyroid function. Um, it says the mechanisms driving recurrent post-diet regain are largely elusive. We identify an intestinal microbiome signature that persists after successful dieting and contributes to the faster weight regain. So now hmm. instead of just thyroid function or loss of muscle mass affecting your metabolic rate or whatever, um, they're actually doing fecal experiments and they're saying this signature of certain populations of bacteria, you know, this, this group grew more, this one's a little bit less, whatever, they feel like they've got sort of a fingerprint on the state of your intestines that's just got you poised to put the body fat back on post-diet. So this is interesting. Huh. It says, uh, it, and then they actually go on. They don't just get the signature down, but they're going to act on it. And this is where it gets interesting. Fecal transfer experiments show accelerated weight regain phenotype can be transmitted to germ-free mice. And we've talked about that before. Mike, I know you're familiar uh. with those studies. Like you take a, a mouse that's got no bacteria in his little intestines and you inject uh, the feces from the fat mouse, and then the lean, bacteria-free mouse, it actually gets fat, right? There's something communicating from the bacteria in the fat mouse poo <laughs> that's affecting the, the whole physiology of the lean mouse that was unfortunate enough to get this stuff put into him, uh, into his intestines. So anyway, we develop a machine learning algorithm that enables personalized microbiome-based prediction of post-diet weight regain. So they're actually suggesting now that they have an algorithm. They can, you could take a sample of your fecal matter, of your poop, uh, look at what bacteria are in there, what proportions and populations, and, um, and predict if you're going to be one of these rapid weight regainer types. Additionally, hmm. additionally we find that the microbiome contributes to diminished post-diet flavonoid levels and reduced energy expenditure. So there seems to be this link between this bacterial signature of people who have successfully dieted but are about to regain and flavonoid levels. So again, people, flavonoids and lots of healthy things, tea and you know antioxidant qualities, that sort of thing, uh, and reduced energy expenditure. And it says, and we further demonstrate that a flavonoid-based postbiotic intervention can stop the weight regain. So, wow. yeah, so no wonder all these people want their names on this paper. Not only do they find the fingerprint that suggests you're going to regain badly, you know, after a successful diet. Remember, this is after a successful diet. But they also have a mechanism here that's flavonoid-related and even a what they're calling a postbiotic intervention that involves, I don't know if they're, they're giving them flavonoids or what they're doing exactly, but it's supposed to ameliorate the excessive weight regain so hmm. i i have never heard of the term postbiotic until this paper so uh, yeah that's fascinating and that's one thing i've noticed with with clients and there's some indirect research on this that as you start reducing their calories i find that the quality of nutrition matters quite a bit not necessarily from a, a caloric standpoint per se i just find that it's a lot easier for them to do that and again it's purely anecdotal but maybe there's some flavonoid mechanisms that they don't seem to regain weight as easy as compared to people that do more of a 
crash diet and only, you know, count calories and don't really care so much about quality, you know, even adding stuff like, you know, vegetables and veggie shakes and stuff like that to them, it just seems to be a lot easier for them and they don't seem to rebound as hard. So maybe there's some more mechanistic stuff now related to that, to the gut and flavonoids and some other stuff going on. I actually have some papers. I saw one on my hard drive the other day. I was just geeking around, uh, and it talked about how vegetables through a pH mechanism may actually encourage like muscle gain and that sort of thing. So uh, hmm. just to, I guess to reinforce what you're saying is, yeah, the if it fits your macros guys who say it doesn't matter if it's a Twinkie, I think it does matter because some of this micronutrition, now a lot of people, they go off the deep end with these alkaline diets and you, you, oh, you can yeah. only change your blood pH like a hundredth of a point, like 7.35 to 7.45 is like a normal pH range. And again, if people, if you remember your high school chemistry, like on a 14 point scale, you're wiggling a tenth of a point in the sevens. <laughs> so, but at the same time, it could be something that has some influence, right? The phytochemicals, the micronutrition, even the the more alkaline state of eating tons of broccoli with your chicken breast and that sort of thing. Um, I do think... And you add in the fiber and the filling and the satiety and the you know, ghrelin from the stomach and all the other hormones that factor into it too. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Let's get to this collagen thing before we go to break then. Um what we've done, everybody, is Mike and I have a couple of papers here. I'm going to go through a couple of papers that suggest that collagen, which is a very incomplete protein, may be beneficial for certain things. Uh, and then Mike is going to weigh in with some other papers that sort of reinforce what I think he and I have sort of felt from the beginning, which is this is a really low-quality protein. I don't see how this can be that helpful. Uh, but let me start with the positives here. Um, here's one. This first one is called vitamin C enriched gelatin supplementation. Okay, so this is gelatin instead of collagen. Uh, before intermittent activity augments collagen synthesis. This is by Gregory Shaw and colleagues. Uh, That's a pretty new one, isn't it? Correct. Uh, I'm looking at the, I don't see the date on this one. Mm. Oh, okay. Strange. Uh, essentially what they did in this particular paper was uh, they took eight healthy subjects, uh, guys. Uh, it was a randomized, double-blind, crossover design. That's a very strong research design in which they consumed either either 5 or 15 grams of vitamin C-enriched gelatin. So essentially like jello with some vitamin C in it. Um, they took uh, repeated blood samples. They analyzed it for the amino acid content in the blood. And what they're trying to get at is are the people who are getting this uh, vitamin C gelatin supplement, are, they, are there markers that suggest that their body's rebuilding soft tissues, right? I mean, uh, the paper mentions that more than 50% of all injuries in sports are sprains, strains, etc. cetera. Um, and so if you can, let's face it, muscle tissue is not just actin and myosin or contractile proteins. There's a lot of uh, support structures, and Dr. Nelson's way more familiar with a lot of that than I am as far as visually, because I know you've done a lot of cadaver work and whatnot, but yeah. Uh, anyway, let's see. One hour after the initial supplement, subjects completed six minutes of rope skipping to stimulate collagen synthesis. Okay. Uh, 
And it says the pattern of supplementation was repeated three times per day with at least six hours between exercise bouts for three days. Anyway, the bottom line is subjects who took 15 grams of gelatin one hour before exercise showed double the amino terminal propeptide of collagen one in their blood. In other words, it indicated increased collagen synthesis. So uh, to me, this begs a question is, could you, <coughs> could you feed other things? Uh, other would more quality proteins also do this? Is there something special about gelatin? Because again, you're, I mean, for a protein to be incomplete means it's missing one or more essential amino acids. And when you're talking about gelatin in this case, or collagen from cartilage and whatnot, um, that you're eating, they're so incomplete. I mean, missing one amino acid. Are you kidding? They're missing many. They're very poor. <laughs> yeah, they're very poor. Um, so I'm curious if, if it's something about the gelatin or if they would have fed these guys whey protein like most people do anyway, would that have increased their collagen synthesis? I mean, Phil mentioned just a few weeks ago, I think, that uh, whey enhances collagen synthesis. So um, I don't know. So there's one with vitamin C enriched gelatin. It may actually be helpful uh, workout related. Here's another one. This is by Hector Lopez, Tim Ziegenfuss, and Jay Park. Um, this is a 2015 paper, evaluation of the effects of uh, this particular novel cartilage extract on connective tissue support. So uh, they gave three grams of a novel hydrolyzed chicken sternum cartilage um, mm, for, for six weeks. Yeah, wow, it doesn't sound attractive, but again, in a pill, I'm sure. Um, you're, yeah, you're not gnawing on chicken's sternum <laughs> uh, for six weeks to challenge uh, let's see they also had an upper body muscle damaging resistance exercise protocol and they measured classic markers of muscle damage like creatine kinase there's an inflammatory marker in here c-reactive protein uh, they report that the result the extract again from the chicken cartilage this collagen uh, attenuated the post-exercise increase in serum markers of muscle damage, the creatine kinase, uh, LDH, which is another uh, enzyme you can see from damaged tissue spill into the blood, and the inflammatory marker C-reactive protein. This study's preliminary data, it says, are promising. Uh, a larger study is warranted. So there's the, the usual caveats there at the end. Um, so this suggests that consuming collagen uh, again, like the previous study with gelatin, these low-quality uh, proteins, I mean, very low-quality as far – in fact, I would usually tell students functionally pointless for protein synthesis, right, if you follow the classic complete protein model, uh, but may reduce the uh, muscle damage. So I I don't know. I, mm. I, I, I remain skeptical <laughs> on that. Yeah. And then this is the paper that I mentioned, and I'll let you take – take this over do you have the zadiblik paper in front of you mike correct yes uh this is this was those other ones i sort of dismissed on some level this one was hard to dismiss this makes collagen again a very poor protein look like it's effective for muscle gain and so maybe you could share some stuff about this yeah, so in this one, the last name's author is Zdiblik, Z-D-Z-I-E-B-L-I-K. This is in the British Journal of Nutrition, 2015. Uh, formal title, Collagen Peptide Supplementation in Combination with Resistance Training 
improves body composition and increases muscle strength in elderly sarcopenic men. Randomized controlled trial. So what's interesting about this is, again, it's in older men. Usually they tend to be more anabolic resistant. Usually need more uh, protein to get uh, an acute effect. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the main authors on a different study showed that, I think, was Tang, T-A-N-G, and they showed that you needed almost 40 grams of a whey protein, which is a very high-quality protein, uh, compared to 20 grams in uh, younger individuals right. to get the same effect. Um, and that study, if I remember right, older individuals, I think, were like aged 71, so it wasn't like they were just 40. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so basically in this study, they just had them follow a resistance training program, and they used a collagen peptide as the supplement, I'm not going to bore you with all the other details, but, you know, they used a lot of subjects, 148 subjects. And, you know, if you read through it, I mean, it, you know, for the most part, looks like it's pretty well designed. They used body composition by DEXA and muscular strength by isokinetics. And, you know, it looks pretty good. But if you look at the result of what they found, um, they said that they reported the gain in fat-free mass and a loss of body uh, fat. And they used 15 grams per day of a collagen, and it was a 12-week study. And I'm looking here to see... Uh, I had it right in front of me. Oh, here we go. Uh, a 4.2 kilogram gain in fat-free mass in the collagen peptide group. Wow, it's like and again, 10 pounds. these are in older men. Yeah, so that's massive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Stu Phillips wrote a uh, letter to the editor about this, which you can also find in the British Journal of Nutrition, uh, 2016. Um, and he was just basically calling into question about this, and I had talked to him a little bit on Facebook about this too, because someone had posted this study and the results, and I'm like, a collagen protein did that? That doesn't even seem to add up. Exactly. Um, so he was saying that, uh, this is what Stu said in his letter to the editor, uh, he said, quote, in one study in which men with COPD received 100 milligrams of testosterone and anthate injected weekly, comes close to the findings of basically the collagen study. Um, but in this study, they were performing resistance training, only gained you know, 3.3 grams of fat free mass and lost 1.1 kilograms of fat mass. So even in 100 milligrams of a steroid they weren't even close to what the collagen study showed so um, super remarkably impressive <laughs> compared to yeah what we know yeah, would work col- right yeah and the collagen protein supplemented group or peptide supplement group in the 12 weeks also lost 5.5 kilograms of fat mass so they basically almost recomposition their body positive we're close to the same amount of lean mass and fat mass, which is magical. crazy. <laughs> yeah, borders on magical. <laughs> right. Um, so Stu's just going on to say that, you know, even the, the collagen itself, from what we know about, you know, muscle protein synthesis, which is what Stu studies in his lab and has for going on decades now, there's just no mechanism that makes any sense. You know, the peptide only has 0.4 grams of leucine, which is well below the leucine threshold. Um, so he just kind of goes on to say that it's, and I would agree with them 100% that 
it's just really hard to believe in English. Right. right. Yeah, when I use <laughs> the word That's my interpretation. He's got all the the studies and everything to back it up here, so. Oh, sure. Yeah, when I used the word remarkable, that was his study, uh his word. Um yeah. Not in a positive way, right? <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> wow, this is really remarkable. You you're giving people 15 grams of uh, a, essentially a poor protein, a highly incomplete, low leucine lu- protein, and you're getting results comparable or better than uh, low-dose anabolic steroid injection, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, and even what we know about using, you know, higher protein supplementation in older individuals, and granted there's not a lot of data in that area, that doesn't even remotely come close to this, and that at least has you know, mechanism of action and, you know, backing data from, you know, plenty of other studies showing that proteins like egg and whey do elicit a change in muscle protein synthesis. And even in those studies, we don't see anything close to the gains that they used with, a, you know, from a protein synthetic standpoint, right. a poor quality protein, which collagen is. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things that's been around for decades. People would take collagen for stuff like their fingernails or who knows, you know, gelatin supplements. And I always just thought this is bunk. You know, it's just there's just such a paltry number of amino acids in the the profile of those proteins Uh, to say they're incomplete is an understatement. So I started thinking, what's magical about the older guys? Right. Because this is young men trying to make gains. These are old sarcopenic guys. They're losing a lot of muscle mass. And not only did they slow it, they reversed it. And these guys, what was it, something like 10 pounds of lean mass they put on in just 12 weeks while they lost body fat. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, And again, that's what caused the confusion a few weeks ago because I'm like, am I going to have to reconclude a few things? Could there be some benefits? But aside from a little bit like I was reading about, um, I really don't think collagen uh, or gelatin are going to reduce markers of damage like in the lopez study i don't think that's going to continue to pan out unless there's something we're all missing you know yeah Um, the only thing i can and i did some more digging on this and i still have a bunch more to digging but there's some interesting stuff on collagen related to joint pain and literature even on that is all across the board and that's partially because joint pain is kind of a vague indicator because you've got soft tissue and you've got the structures in the knee and you've got the synovial fluid and there's probably different things in different groups of people that can cause knee pain, right? So it's probably different subcategories. Um, I do think that there may be some data for collagen related to connective tissue. So one thing I've, I've talked about before too, my coach Chris Summers, who does a lot of gymnastics coaching, used to be the U.S. gymnastics coach, um, has talked about a lot of stuff that they do training gymnastics athletes is kind of soft tissue based. Um, according to him, the turnover time on soft tissue is a, closer to nine months. That's a pretty long period of time. So I've wondered if collagen may be helping with the soft tissue, kind of the rate of turnover of that tissue. I, I swear I found uh, a study where they radioactively tracer-labeled collagen protein uh, supplement and then did find it in the connective tissue, but I may have made that up because I can't seem to find it again. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone finds that study, please let me know because I can't seem to find it anywhere again. So I think in terms of soft tissue, yeah, maybe some effect from there. I've played around with adding a lot more collagen recently just to see how I feel. And I don't know. I feel a little bit better, but I could have placeboed myself into that too. I don't know. Um, 
So maybe for soft tissue stuff, I think there may be some beneficial things, but uh, for everything that we know about now for protein synthetic response, uh, doesn't seem to match up for that. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just can't get over the the idea. And again, uh, Phil mentioned a study just a couple of weeks ago here on the podcast, and I don't have it in front of me. I was just looking for it, but that whey protein probably helps connective tissue. I'm almost sure that's what it was. Uh, I'd have to go back and listen myself. Uh, I just can't see anything that a very low quality uh, protein with so few um, amino acids as far as the spectrum of the essential amino acids um, would do so wonderfully that just your usual way would not already do. It's going to provide all those same amino acids plus more, you know, mm -hmm. unless somehow you're absorbing some of the, like a dipeptide or tripeptide from the collagen and it's getting into your bloodstream intact, you know, as opposed to just di being digested all the way down. Um, it's just not providing enough of any of the things that I would think would be that helpful. Like I said, I just don't see what would be better about it, except like you said, you're playing with some of it lately. Dirt cheap, maybe? Because you would think this would be dirt cheap. Um, yeah, that's the other downside, too, is that I'm not, not that I'm like super worried about mad cow disease or anything, but in terms of a collagen supplement, I get concerned about the sourcing from it because mm -hmm. you are taking all the other sort of tissue parts of the hooves and all the other stuff of the cow and kind of grinding them up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so for me personally, I use uh, Vital Proteins. Uh, they source theirs from uh, Brazil and other areas that are a little bit higher quality in terms of their beef production. Yeah, there's some debate about, you know, they don't regulate maybe some types of pesticides and things of that nature. Um, because the couple of things that I do get more worried about just in terms of quality are things that I know may become structure. So like fish oil, right? Because we know that the oils actually end up in the cellular membranes. We know that if collagen is working how we think it may be working through connective tissue, then technically that would become part of your connective tissue. Incorporated, and yeah, the, yeah. Yep. And if the turnover rate there is long, it's going to take you a long time to sort of wash out anything else you know muscles pretty fast you know 90 days a lot of your muscles rebuilt um so i don't know for just me personally and again there's not a lot of science on this yet things that i know are becoming more of a structure for now i'll spend the extra money and try to buy something that's higher quality if it's a vitamin c type thing as long as it's vitamin c i don't get too worried about it but kind of more structural stuff uh, right now I'll, I'll spend a few extra bucks on it but the downside is it, it's quite a bit more expensive <laughs> see that so, yeah for something you think should be cheap right if it's not cheaper I, I don't get it uh and i should make a quick note about vitamin c clinically uh researchers have looked at vitamin c for soft tissue repair for the longest time and if you think about scurvy and some of the early observations if you don't get enough vitamin c soft tissues break down right you get bloody gums your gums right. recede a little old scars can open up terrible stuff you know uh, so a deficiency in vitamin C is one thing. Taking excess and whether or not that's going to help uh, form those cross bridges. It's called hydroxyproline and hydroxylysine. There's these cross bridges in the fibers of your connective tissue, and it helps form those. But more is not necessarily better, right? If you're getting your 75 for women or 90 milligrams for men vitamin C every day, that's probably okay. Now, having said that, 
you know, there are some people, what is it, the Linus Pauling Institute? There's there's definitely right. proponents that are, uh, oh, no, you can, you should take more. I mean, I will tell you, even a big male from everything I've seen, a big man, like a powerlifter-sized guy over 250, he's still going to saturate his tissues on like 200, 250 milligrams of vitamin C a day. So it does beg the question, if you're saturated, imagine a sponge saturated with water, you can't get more in. So any higher dose than that, it would very temporarily raise your blood levels, you know, presumably. Um, and, and I do, in fact, take a little bit extra vitamin C if I have a cold or that sort of thing, try to reduce the severity of the symptoms a little just in case. Um, but anyway, the vitamin C would be a different mechanism, more of a influencing enzymes and, and helping the mechanism as opposed to, like you said, Mike, like with the building blocks and that sort of thing. So um, different yeah. things at work here, I guess. Uh, I'm just going to return to my original. I was very glad to see that comment from from Dr. Phillips, Stu Phillips. Uh, and again, everybody, Mike and I both uh, know, know Stu a bit. I want to get him on the show, too. Um, I'm glad that he, he uses his clout because he's a world-class researcher to call some of this stuff out. I don't know if this is commercialism creeping into it, you know, because you see a lot of these brand names for these collagens and gelatins and whatnot and Maybe there's some corporate influence there. I'm not saying people are inventing, fabricating data, but it's good to have someone like Stu point out that, my God, even testosterone doesn't do that, you know, so. Yeah, and I did look in the original study just to see, you know, what they what they had in terms of acknowledgments and that type of thing. And there's no conflicts of interest, and it goes through what, you know, they were working on. So, I don't know, it doesn't appear to be any conflict of interest that that we know of but yeah right. it just well the other some of the other studies i mentioned i think there may be a little bit i'm mean, not that they didn't they disclose it right yeah but yeah yeah so i don't know we're, i i think we're we'll go back to square one the original idea that just what i've told students for many years nobody's getting built nobody's getting swole on hooves and horns you know <laughs> so it, it just seems logical all right we're gonna go to break um Thanks, uh, Dr. Nelson. It's got everybody. It's we're actually recording this on uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, That's right. <laughs> Big party tonight. Woo! So <laughs> <laughs> we'll go to break. We come back. We'll talk about uh, to continue bulking or time to get serious with the diet. Hey, listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, 
to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Fall and soon winter will be upon us. As the holidays approach and your thoughts turn to giving, please consider your friends here at ironradio.org. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio type format, the show is listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 per month, you can become a supporting member keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page, or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Thanks for helping to create a place for better internet programming for all strength and muscle sports, and... Happy Holidays! Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's lawnman 7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back from break. It's Mike Nelson, Lonnie Lowry, and on the road, we've got Phil Stevens. And we're going to tackle the topic of um, whether to continue with a bulk. I think everybody knows as you head from Halloween into Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, there's a lot of food, a lot of calorie-rich food. It's actually a good time to bulk, especially if you like the dirty bulk. Um, And we're going to head into another two months where it's going to be cold and you know, you could still pile on the clothes and be a little fatter or whatever. Uh, but then other people, if you've got leanness goals coming up, maybe maybe it's time. Even though it's a dead of winter and there's all these leftovers around, maybe you, you, know, you, you change your game a little bit. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And my first question for Phil is, so it is sort of the dead of winter. Um what are your thoughts about preparing? Like, if you're going to get lean, when in the springtime do you do it, or you, do you do it now? What's what's the idea? Well, I mean, let's say you're getting lean for beach season or something. So let's say June. Yeah, I think most people mess up and 
you know, they need to start now. You know, it's not, you see people, well, I'm going to get lean for June, so I'll start in May. It's like, no, you're too late, bro. <laughs> right. Um, you know, they wait for spring, and I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of different. For some reason, I always like doing my lean-out periods in the winter when everybody else is getting bulking up, but I don't know. I don't know why, but I just hate the excuse of the, the holiday 20 pounds or whatnot. It's like, it's literally three days. You know, you got Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, maybe throw in New Year's Day, so four days of, of screwing up. I think where most people mess up on that deal is they start it on Halloween and they don't end it until the first, and then they're like, oh, my God, I gained 20 pounds. I need to lose a bunch of weight now. Right, um, yeah. 60 yeah, days. I mean, I think people start, they, they don't have a realistic time frame of how long they need. Give yourself longer than you need. What's wrong with, you know, if you make it there a little early, great. You know, at least you're not rushing at the end. No, it's true. And you know what, too? It might be worth it. Like what I used to do, I would start January 1st, actually, with my diet, right? Because like you, yeah. I mean, do the math. If you're going to lose half a pound or a pound a week of body fat, you're going to need 20 weeks to get 20 pounds off of you. You know, you now I know people lose faster than that, but I always like to err on the you know, <laughs> side of caution, really. But, yeah, I would start January 1st getting my butt on the treadmill every morning before breakfast, you know, because of the time frames. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, you can't wait until April or May. And, you know, I, I also used to set multiple dates. Like, I would set a firm date for a contest and just call that a warm-up show if I had to. You know, like, let's yeah. say maybe I'm not lean enough. I, I don't like the idea of making it a maybe because then you don't have a firm goal, you know, but... I, so I'd actually register, put my name on the dotted line, but then I would have, like, two weeks later or even a month after that, um, a stretch goal, you know, a, a second contest. I mean, first of all, if you're going to diet that long, you might as well enjoy stage, you know, more than once. But also, yeah, if you're not ready at, let's say, the 20-week 20, 20 point, maybe the 24-week point, you know, puts you where you want to be, I guess. But yeah. um, So let me ask you, why do you think you're – you're weird, and you diet when there's all these goodies around. Like, why do you? Well, do everybody that? else seems. Everybody else seems to bulk up during the holiday season, and I don't know. For for me, I find it easier. It's not that hard for me to turn down plates of freaking food. I don't know, and I think it's. I think I like doing it because it's different than everybody else. You know, it's different <laughs> than the masses. It's just I'm able to prove, hey, look, I can do this. You know, it's not that hard to say no to the holiday cookie. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, just to be different. I guess. And well, I mean, I had the goal too set out years ago of getting lean to my 40th birthday. So I started in August. That ends in Feb February. So I'm down, I'm what, what I'm like 20 weeks in and I'm down 30 pounds. So, yeah. And I still got four weeks to go. So. Yeah. That's so, a good pace. That's, that's like 1.3 pounds a week or something. That's, that's about yeah, first right. it came off a little quicker, you know, and now it's creeping. You know? Oh right, that's right. It's not linear, is it? <laughs> yeah. So, Mike, what are your thoughts then? If if someone's got body composition goals, or I mean, are you? Could you take the flip side of this and say, listen, we've got eight more weeks of winter. I'm just going to try to stay huge and put on some size. Or what's your preference? Uh, <clears throat> I think like what Phil said too. It all depends on how much they have to lose and how lean do you want to get. You know, I mean, if you're talking about a physique competitor or something like that, then that's a completely different ballgame because, 
most of the time there you have to get a lot leaner than you think you do unless you've you know done it a lot and that type of thing in the past at least a couple of people i've worked with um you know no one ever complained that they were ready too early (laughs) yeah you know most people complain that oh my god i've only got six weeks left or whatever um so with clients i always go what you know where do you want to get to have you been there before right so you have a realistic somewhat idea of what that looks like um what do you want to kind of sacrifice along the way you know we can be more aggressive for a shorter period of time but we're probably not going to be super aggressive for six months at a time either and you know expect that all your lifts are going to go up and all this other magical stuff is going to happen too um you know i have a female client i've worked with and you know she's done really good and and lost a fair amount of, of weight um, gotten a lot leaner and you know we took a much longer approach and you know her lifts have stayed pretty good um, and now it's becoming you know a little bit more aggressive near the end um, but I think what most people do is kind of the inverse they're like oh all of a sudden it's like Phil was saying it's you know April or May and I got to get lean and so they just you know do something super crazy at the last minute and then they get mad that they didn't make it so right I think the earlier you can have the the conversation the better off you're going to be it is funny to talk about this here on, on New Year's Eve. Like, this this would be <laughs> yeah. the beginning of, of fitness season, you know. It is true. Uh, we all know it. The big chain gyms are going to flood with people, you know, starting oh, yeah. next week. And they're all, they'll be gone by Valentine's Day, you know. But yep. they'll pour out. Yeah. And they're, they're going to cut their calories in half. They're going to exercise six days a week. And... What's the progression model? It's just like with strength. You know, we've talked about that before. You got nowhere to go. You're going to crush your metabolism, and you're going to get frustrated, and then basically just throw the diet out the window by March, you know, instead of doing something like uh, just starting to set some behaviors. I used to like to just do – I'd start with just 30 or 45 minutes on the treadmill before breakfast just just to establish the behavior, you know, and I would would cut junk food – like, uh, you know, inst- I'd get chicken instead of burgers when I went out and fast food it and that kind of stuff. Not that I do that a lot anyway, but I would just sort of eat generally less sloppy the first month, get the treadmill behavior in place. So the entire month of January actually wasn't that painful as opposed to what these other guys do, which is, you know, like we said, they stop eating every gram of carbohydrate or something or um, going to the gym for 90 minutes at a time. And they they burn out, especially because what Phil said, the diet is actually going to get harder toward the end. Like the oh, weight yeah. came off of you fast, Phil, and then it starts to trickle off. You better have somewhere to something to restrict, you know, some progression. Yeah. Kind of what you guys are saying, too. People assume that, oh, I need to get lean. So I'm going to go from lifting four days a week to every day and I'm going to do high intensity, you know, exercise, cardio hit on top of my training. So they almost double their weight training and they slash their calories. I'm like, well, 20 weeks that's not going to last long. And people are like, you're, 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 the, the somewhere to go thing is what, what we need to talk about. It's like, people look at me and I'm down 30 pounds. I'm still eating 3,500 calories a day. You know, we haven't had to go drastic yet. You know, mm-hmm. I have somewhere to, to go still. So. So how are you able to do that? Did you come down from five thousand, or are you doing cardio a lot, or how how do you do that? I do, I do barely any cardio at all. I'll get on the bike a little bit, warm up. It's just thirty five hundred calories is the last fifteen years I've spent eating ten to six thousand calories a day. 
you know. Right. Yeah. So I have a great metabolism, you know, because I was trying to maintain 275 for 10 years. So, and now I'm at 240, and, like, I still get to eat that much, and it's just clean, you know, and that's a big difference. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. you got the David Pitcher macros crowd and stuff like that. There's a big difference between broccoli and chicken breast and rice than there is, you know, a Snickers bar with a side of, you know, whatever for your protein. Right, it yeah. Make the difference. So if I can ask, where are your calories? Are you at, so you're about 50% reduced? this Because you're at almost at the end of the diet, right? Yeah, I'm about 50% reduced, roughly. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, still at 3,500 calories. We, we dropped me down to, I think, like 4,500 right off the bat. Um, and stuck there for a long time, you know. Right, yeah. There was no point to as long as it was still coming off. Yeah. Um, we ran that as long as we could, and then I stuck for like three weeks and then made an adjustment, you know? Yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah, Mike, so if metabolism is dynamic like that, what would your suggestion be? If, if someone, let's say they're, they are going to start a diet now, and January is pretty successful just because they, they throw out the brownies in, and the leftover cheese and crackers and all that stuff. Um, and again, I'm not saying waste people, but let's face it. If it's not, doesn't have enough intrinsic value to donate to the food bank, throw the <laughs> shit out. Just, you know, how much the is... homeless people don't want your crappy food either. <laughs> That's right. You know, throw out the half a plate of half stale brownies, you know, but, <laughs> but if they stale, would you have any tips for someone? So let's say they, you know, they make progress in January, but like Phil said, he staled out for uh, three weeks or so. Now he had, he had somewhere to go. He could continue to cut calories or do whatever, but... What would you suggest to someone if they do get stuck come February? Yeah, so the, the hardest part with clients, too, is sometimes the first week or the, even the first few days, they kind of plateau whatever measures you're using for that, is a lot of times they want to make a change. And one of the harder parts is just, you know, for one, two, maybe three weeks, even just kind of holding there to see what happens. Because like what you guys are saying, if, you be really aggressive and you keep being aggressive all the time. At some point, you're going to not really have anywhere else to go. Um, another indicator I use, assuming that the person doesn't have any psychological issues with it, is just a simple daily body weight. And while that's not telling you body composition, you know, it gives you a pretty good idea where you're at. And the other thing I'll look at, too, is how much variability from day to day there is in that. So if someone is, say, you know, 150 you know, is it 150 on the dot every day, or does it go 152, 148, 149, 151? Does it kind of bop around a little bit? And I find if it kind of oscillates a little bit, just like the fine scale variability, that I will, even if their average is about the same, I'll probably have them hold that weight longer, and they'll usually start to go down again. Um, if I see like two weeks and they're pretty much exactly the same body weight, not going up, not going down. Then I'll either try to drop it a little bit, or I may actually push it up temporarily just to get that variability back for a day or two. So I may say, okay, you know, do a full body session tomorrow and have you know high amount of carbohydrates, see how that goes, and see where you're at in the next couple of days. I'm trying to get the variability back in first and then the direction. Um, so those are a couple of indicators that I use just to kind of determine where they should go. Right, yeah. You know, strangely, when I would diet, I I would do 20-week diets and then really 24 weeks uh, out to the the final competition kind of thing. 
I would I would steadily like after the first month. The first month really, like I say, was just kind of clean it up a lot, like what Phil does. And then I would I would fairly analyze my carb intake. You know uh, how many. Uh, sweet potatoes or potatoes or you know rice or whatever I was eating and then I every two weeks I would reduce it by about 50 grams so if I was starting at 400 grams a day then for a couple of weeks I'd do 350 and then for a couple of weeks I'd do 300 and, and I would progress like that and then simultaneously to try to deal with the slowing of my metabolism because of the reduced calories I would up the pre-breakfast uphill walk you know uh, yeah. or elliptical or whatever so I'd go th- 45 and then 60 minutes and then I got up to 75 at the very end I was actually walking uphill for uh, 75 to 90 minutes um, and again not intense right because I don't want to interfere with my workout later in the day all that it's a really kind of old-school bodybuilding approach which is you know you progressively pull the carbs out progressively add in more and more cardio now if you think about it my god after you spend an hour and a half in the gym in the afternoon that's three hours of exercise a day no wonder I started losing you know Skype okay so all right so uh, I don't want to drag this out too long just I, I think this time of year a lot of people are they're very complacent you know they don't think about Again, the average gen pop person might want to start flooding to the local, you know, big box gym and try to get on the treadmill or something. But a lot of serious fitness competitors, I do think they underestimate that if you want to be lean, uh, even just for the warming of the weather, or certainly if if you've got a competition, uh, you know, both you guys alluded to this a little bit, but getting lean for a competition is a whole different ball of wax because you'll look good. You can start looking good about 12 to 16 weeks into a diet, but you are not ready, my friends. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, being being 6 to 8% fat looks good, but you're, you've got another eight weeks, six to eight weeks potentially, uh, if you're going to get emaciated down to stage weight. You know, we've had some uh, natural uh, competitive bodybuilders on the show before, and they've alluded to that, you know, like they, they feel like they're absolutely strung out uh, and shredded. And then their coach would say, dude, you got 10 more pounds, you know, and they're yeah. like, what do you mean? So I, I don't think most people understand, uh, like when someone says they compete, if you compete at, let's say, 185, you're probably walking around in the offseason at 230. You could be a beast, you know, because you're lean at 200. You know, yeah. and then you then you get competition lean about 190 and then you dehydrate 10 pounds, you know, and yeah. I don't think people think about that. So they look at that competitive weight and they're like, oh, that he's not very big. No, he's pretty freaking big, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Especially if you see natural competitors in the off season versus uh, stage ready, even just in street clothes. It's amazing the, the difference. And I don't mean that in any disrespect at all. It's just that I think like exactly what you said, Lonnie, people way don't estimate how much the last few weeks will take. And then I know you've said this in the past, too. At, at what point do you push the conditioning for potentially losing some muscle at that point, too? You know, so you can't really be uber aggressive towards the end. You know, it's going to be a long and slow and steady. And I know some natural competitors are taking even longer to get ready for shows now just to try to 
minimize that loss of, of muscle and lean body mass. Yeah, and it is inevitable. I mean, if you do have access to get some body comp done with a bod pod or even skin folds, I do recommend you can that you do that. You know, uh, like I said, the scale weight's got ultimately has got to come down. Um, and I know some people would say, well, what if I gain muscle and lose the fat? You're not going to gain any appreciable muscle during the diet okay yeah. the weight has to come down and like you said that last month you are going to start losing a, a certain amount of muscle mass uh hopefully you don't get to the point where you're losing one for one you know to get those last 10 pounds off you don't lose 10 pounds of muscle mass in that last couple of weeks of a diet you know come april let's say uh just to get the last 10 pounds of fat off but you are going to lose a little bit of muscle in this process uh and yeah, slow and steady, uh, I, I think, is really the way to go. If you hear people talk about competitively, oh, I diet for 12 weeks, that always blew my mind. Because even, um, I've even seen guys that were um, assuredly not natural, um, and they would cut all their carbs out at the beginning of a diet and lose enormous amounts of muscle mass. You know, you watch some guy go from 270 and he competes at 185, and he, I'm sorry, dude, you're doing something wrong, you know. Yeah. You, uh, there's got to be a better way than that. So it, it's just, I, I'm sure you know performance enhancing meds are going to do uh, are going to help a lot of those guys. And let's face it, there are things when growth hormone enters the picture, it just changes everything. So we're talking about normal metabolisms here, right? And trying to keep your metabolic rate up, spare as much muscle mass, keep the weights as high as you can, as deep into the diet as possible, at least with a strength check. I know what you're saying, Mike. You don't want to get hurt, and you do get strung out. But I mean, I was very proud. I was able to squat 405 for a double two weeks before my last competition and that's how i tried to keep my size it just stands to reason to me that and i feel i know you go on about this that you can't be doing this nonsense toning 20 repetitions for everything um if you don't keep moving the heavy weights you're gonna lose some mass you know yeah i mean i just pulled i just pulled 700 for a double out of the rack for two it's my first nice. wow you know and it you know so yep it was it was hard, but you know, <laughs> I don't hard, do that ever imagine. You know? Yeah, uh, and it is harder when you're not bloated and big and full. You know, it is hard. Oh yeah, yeah. Squats suck. You don't have a belly. You know, right? Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. Even then, just your energy level to recover too. Right. I mean, a lot of times, and I know I do this a lot, is I just eat more calories to help recover because i'm not you know body composition is not my main goal right now but once you start taking that away you know recovery becomes a lot more imperative and you just can't recover nearly as fast either oh right you've got to be proactive in other ways too i mean you know there are some i mean anything a lot of this stuff we've touched on in the past it's debatable but hot cold contrast showers massage some kind of sleep aid uh anything you can do because yeah you can't simply eat to fix it you know the 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 calorie restriction is going to keep you from i mean you could try to keep up your micronutrition but yeah it just makes it very tough so uh, anyway so all right so we're just about out of time I, I just thought it might be nice to do a little spin on the traditional you know new year's resolution thing because i think the real question for a lot of people right now is if you want to do something physique oriented or you want to go through a leaning period like Phil is actually because he's kind of backwards with this is at the end of his but now is the time right it's it, we're in the dead of winter yep but now is the time you start with at least a, a handful of behaviors uh you know cleaning all the junk food out of your diet or getting a nice baseline measurement 
you know, of your body weight, your body comp, even your diet. You know, there's free online diet analyzers like uh, MyPlate.gov. I know there's a lot of apps that do this to MyFitnessPal or whatever. Uh, but get your baseline stuff. But now is the time you start. You, now is the time. And, again, it, it's weird. I'm looking out my window and I see snow. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's tempting. It's tempting to just keep wolfing down the yep. cheese and crackers and the brownies and the, and the cookies or whatever and the leftovers when it's time to throw that shit out. If, if you've got that goal, if that's not your goal, then you can revel for another, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, probably. But uh, it's just funny because fitness season kicks up. I think we all know this. It, it tends to start. You start to start feeling it in like February. Um, but you've just lost five weeks, buddy. You know, so. Yeah, in Minnesota, it's the <clears throat> the first warm day we get in March or April. Like, the two big influxes in the gym, especially when I was at a commercial gym more often, were, like you said, the beginning of the year. And then, at least in the Midwest, it's the first day it gets sunny where you don't have to wear a coat. All of a sudden, the gyms are full again for a week. <laughs> right, yeah. I think here in Ohio, the Arnold Classic plays a role in that, too, because it's like it's right it's about that time. first week of March, I think. Uh, yep. Yeah. So, if you want to... Yeah, if that's something you want to be lean for. It's funny, so many of the spectators, I think people prepare just to walk around. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, um, yeah, that's coming up fast, so now it's time to make these decisions. Did we get a new holiday calendar, Phil? Do what? New photo shoot for the holiday calendar. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah, getting ready for that. <laughs> no, I mean, we kind of changed my goals. I'm still, I still have my February goal, but... Uh, Man, I can't lose the strength sports thing. So I was just, I, I had no passion in this. And then I decided I'm going to go down and do a meet at 220, which I've never done. Oh, wow. That's low for you. Twink. Oh. Yeah, it's way low. <laughs> so I'll probably be 230 and we'll sweat off the last 10 pounds. Probably <laughs> there, the there you go. Yeah. So I'll, lift like, I'll lift at like 235 by the time I carve back up and everything. But, uh,. You know that's it. So, so we're pushing this thing out till April. That's when the meet is. I'm looking to do. So, the good thing is, is the plan is to get me down to 2:30 by February, and then I get yeah. to kind of up calories and just stay there. Yeah. You know? Reverse diet into it. Right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where a lot. Of people, that's a lot of where a lot of people mess up too. Is they get lean and then okay, where do I do now? And then they pig out and turn into a slob. And yeah. you know, I'm gonna take some time, some time to go back up. You know. Right. So. Yeah. I gotta get I gotta get that six thousand, seven thousand calorie metabolism back. You know. I can't just throw six thousand calories in a body that's used to three thousand. You know? No, right. Yep. Okay. Good stuff. Awesome. Guys. Good stuff. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store one for phil one for fortress and one for myself dr lowry and they're thematic so you can go into our halls of iron store and choose based on your goal if you need something to learn or read or something nutritional you can look in my store uh, lonnie's store if you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition then take a look at phil's hall of iron and if you want something about motivation or daily training fortresses hall has what you're looking for 
There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each haul of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.